0: It's another exciting week here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. Now, we hope they all are for you. But this time around, we are debuting a brand new spotlight known as the Preacher Feature. That's right, we're going to take you to the pulpit. And the very first guest to take this stage is the one and only Reverend Rebecca Curry. She not long ago retired from her post as District Superintendent of the United Methodist Church. Louisville District. While she was there, she was an assistant to the bishop. I got to know her a while back when she spent many years serving at my church, First United Methodist Church of Henderson. So we're gonna hear all about her wide array of experience in ministry, how she discovered this calling, and of course, we'll get some words of wisdom for others seeking to become future ministers. So, on your mark, get set, With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Waverly to Warsaw, Williamsburg to Whitley City, we've most certainly got you covered here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass as we explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore here at the pleasing and palatial North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson KY. Now gang, when I say all things Kentucky. I'm not using that phrase loosely, okay? I literally mean all people and things Kentucky, from teachers to healthcare professionals, restaurants, state parks, local businesses, other neat landmarks. If they are connected to the Commonwealth, we are committed to saluting them here on the program. And I always welcome your ideas. I will touch more on that here momentarily, but as we mentioned, we are debuting a brand new spotlight this week, the Preacher Feature, which of course is devoted to those who assist our churches and congregations in worshiping in a meaningful manner on a weekly basis. Now, our very first one is Reverend Rebecca Curry. You will often hear me refer to her as Becky for short. I got to know Becky when I was just a young pup. She was serving as the associate pastor of First United Methodist Church in Henderson, a post she held for a number of years. She eventually left for Louisville, where she would become a district superintendent and assistant to the bishop. And after she retired, she briefly busied herself as an interim senior pastor. So uh, we will touch on all of these endeavors throughout our conversation. Needless to say, Becky has a wide array of experience to speak from. So when you get her words of wisdom for those aspiring to uh, pursue a similar career path, you know these are definitely worth listening to, to say the least. And so we look forward to visiting with Becky here in just a few minutes. But I will tell you that if you want to nominate a special preacher, that you know of, maybe the preacher uh, at a friend's church that you've heard a lot of good things about, I don't care which church, which denomination, shoot me that email because I love hearing about people worthy of salutations here on Blabin' in the Bluegrass. Bluegrass Blabin' at gmail.com is my email, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. And that's not just for preachers. Any ideas that you have, anything on your mind, send it to me via email. You can also send it to me via the Blabbit in the Bluegrass Facebook. And if you're not already liking and following the page, you definitely need to do so because all of my previous shows are there. You can stay tuned for teasers on future programs, make comments, leave messages. I love going back and forth with listeners via that avenue as well, and no excuse for missing Blabbit in the Bluegrass anytime, any week, because we are available on four podcast directories with more to come, but for right now you can listen to and subscribe to the show free of charge via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal, so please, please take advantage of those outlets and join us each and every time we take to the online airwaves, shall we say, because it's never the same without you. Now, last order of business, before we talk to Reverend Rebecca Curry, I do have a bluegrass brainbuster, and we try to do one of these each and every week. We will give you the question now. You will get the answer towards the end of the program, so... I would like to know, what is the largest building in the state of Kentucky? Now the answer might surprise you, but I want to know, what is the largest building in the state of Kentucky? Get the wheel spinning, start brainstorming, but don't brainstorm too hard. I don't want you to miss anything that Becky Curry says. And we will give you the answer in the final segments of the program saluting those with poise in the pulpit. It's another Preacher Feature. Well, today we are privileged to have with us um, a retired minister, one of the pioneering female ministers in the United Methodist Church, as a matter of fact. Most recently, she was the interim senior pastor at Christ Church. United Methodist in Louisville. Prior to that, um, she retired as the uh, district superintendent in Louisville for that um, United Methodist Church district and assistant to the bishop. And how I got to know her, she spent many a year serving as the associate pastor of my church, First United Methodist Church. And um, she has kindly agreed to come on and share her knowledge with us and uh, her uh, experience along with some words of wisdom so uh let's welcome to the stage none other than the reverend rebecca curry <laughs> another small world folks is that becky curry married my mother and father yes i did <laughs> many moons ago back in 1981 and uh gosh she she had a hand in that and uh, if it weren't for them getting married um, We may not be sitting here talking today, Becky.
1: (laughs) Well, that's true. That's true. Life does weave those connections, doesn't
0: it? It does weave those connections. (laughs) Absolutely. So, uh, of course, you're you're living in the Louisville area now. Which part of Louisville? St. Matthews or right around there?
1: We are in the Middletown area out by Gene Snyder and Shelbyville Road.
0: I got you. Now, give us your address. No, I'm kidding. I won't won't, won't make you do that. (laughs) people would be bombarding you left and right, so we'll we'll save you that misery. But anyway, Becky Curry, why don't let's start by having you talk a little bit about your involvement in the church as a child, along with uh, your fondest memories of this experience.
1: Well, I always like to talk about this, Sam, because it still is so dear to me and just as fresh in my memory as you know, probably more so than what happened yesterday, but I was raised in the church. I had wonderful Sunday school teachers, and I loved to go to Sunday school, and we would gather, and we would sing those uh, Sunday school choruses, and we'd sing for about 15 minutes, and then we'd go to our classes, and uh, that was the place I just felt at home. I felt loved, and we went to church as a family, and um, I just knew all the people there, and they knew me, and I never could get away with anything, because I knew they were going <laughs> to go right back and tell my mom and dad if I did anything wrong. You so like living in Henderson, story. huh, Sam?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly like living in Henderson. You called it. But anyway, you're from, uh, speaking of Louisville, you're from Valley Station originally, aren't you?
1: I am and graduated from Valley High and uh, Valley Station is near and dear to me as well. Uh, Our family received uh, a land grant from Virginia. And so that was our family um, homestead uh, for my parents and grandparents and great grandparents and great great grandparents. And um, so, yeah.
0: Well, (laughs) how cool is that? Now, um, I got to know, becky's children as well while they were here especially david because he was just a little bit older than me and then there was michael not far behind him so uh what are david and michael up to these days
1: um michael is living in denver with his wife and two children and michael is a nurse uh and interestingly enough in respiratory so you can imagine what his life is right now oh yes Uh, His wife's a speech pathologist, and he has two beautiful children, a boy and a girl. And David is living in Memphis, and he is a um, seventh grade social studies teacher. And uh, he is married to Amanda, who is a physical therapist at St. Jude. And they have two beautiful children, a boy and a girl. So about
0: that? So you've got four grandkiddos. I do, I do. <laughs> yeah, but they're a little, you know, they're a little spread out, but that gives you a reason to travel and, you know, take fun vacations. <laughs> you are
1: exactly right. And Denver and Memphis are not bad places to go.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> they both have their perks, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, Becky, tell us when and how you came to the realization that ministry was your calling.
1: Well, I think it was because I loved the church so much that I always knew that I wanted to work in a church. And um, I didn't know how that was gonna play out. And I think that uh, I thought I would do youth ministry. Uh, I also thought that I would like to do missions and do a, you know, like a social worker kind of thing. So those were two options for me. I I didn't know, I didn't know um, how that would play out. But it was when I was at DePauw and I actually went down to Nashville to interview at Skerritt that I walked across the street and Vanderbilt is right across the street. And I went into the library there and I can just tell you that there was a revelation (laughs) and I knew that's where I felt God was calling me.
0: That's when it hits it. Now, I've been to Nashville many a time. I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. What is Skerritt?
1: Skerritt was the United Methodist uh, Christian Education College.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: people who wanted to go into Christian education went to Skerritt. Skerritt. And now it's the Skerritt, Bennett Skerritt Center, I think.
0: I see. So you actually interviewed for grad school there. I did. I did. And then you went to Vanderbilt and then (laughs) that's when it hit you Uh, in that library there. Now what uh, what church did you attend growing up?
1: I went to Bethany United Methodist there in Valley Station and uh, it was kind of the hopping church. That's where a lot of the, the kids went. We had a real strong youth group and Uh, Did a lot of trips and retreats, and uh, if that sounds familiar to you. Yes,
0: it does. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we had a lot of fun trips uh, in in youth group ourselves. But anyway, I assume uh, assume Bethany United Methodist is still kicking up there, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. Uh, (laughs) The the actual church itself building is no longer there, but they um, moved about a half a mile down Dixie Highway.
0: Okay, so slightly different location, but yeah. <laughs> as you briefly mentioned, um, you know, prior to enrolling in Divinity School there at Vandy. you completed your undergraduate studies at DePaul University. Now, is that the one in Chicago, or is it the one in Indiana?
1: It's the one in Indiana, in Greencastle.
0: Greencastle, okay, gotcha. Yes. I see, that's right outside Indy, isn't it? It is, that's yes, about 40
1: minutes.
0: Cool deal. Now, um, Tell us about your areas of concentration in the classroom at DePaul, then and uh, describe how these prepared you for a divinity school as well as your ultimate career path.
1: Well, like I say, I was a church geek. I am a church geek. And so my, my major was religion. And uh, it was a great preparation for Vanderbilt. In fact, most of my professors were class, most of my professors at DePaul were classmates of my professors at Vanderbilt. Most of them went to Yale. And uh, so when I got to Vanderbilt, they all knew my professors from uh, DePaul, which was definitely a perk. Uh, The other piece that I did at DePaul was I did a lot of speech classes and uh, did I could have been a, a speech minor, I guess, but I never declared it. So I, that was the other part of my college experience that I loved.
0: Yes, indeed, and all that all that speech experience served you well in your years as a an associate pastor and interim senior minister and all that fun stuff. Now, were you involved in any churches or church groups while you were at the Paul there? I-
1: was not we lived i was an alpha chi and the house was catty corner to um, the methodist church and somehow on sunday morning i just didn't make it across the
0: street Well, we won't hold that against you. Okay,
1: all right.
0: (laughs) But it it definitely sounds like uh, you—you know—you learned a lot at DePaul, and you uh, made the most of your experience for sure. So, uh, anyway, switching gears now to your graduate studies at Divinity School at. Vanderbilt, um, what were your favorite parts of Divinity School, Becky? And on the flip side, which aspects of it did you find most stressful?
1: Well, those are two good questions. Um, I will say quickly that the best part of my seminary experience were my classes in pastoral care and counseling. Uh, Liston Mills was the professor there, and I would take every class I could uh, from him. And he was just a master at preparing people to be pastors of a church. And I, you know, the counseling techniques, but also the compassion and understanding the importance of being a pastor as opposed to just a preacher, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, there's a difference in there.
1: <laughs> there is, there is. And, and I definitely saw myself more of a pastor. A uh, frustrating part was uh, a lack of community. Uh, I was serving churches in Shelbyville, Tennessee and Guthrie and Hopkinsville. And so I was traveling and there were a lot of the people there did not stay on campus. And so it was, it was difficult to create community
0: there. Made it kind of kind of uh, challenging to get to know your classmates, didn't it?
1: Yes, it was. It was.
0: Right. So I guess Mr. Mills, um, I guess pretty much all of your Divinity School classes were, were taught by him, weren't they?
1: Well, there were some other, but he was just kind of the best in my mind.
0: So you always tried to sign up with him whenever you could. I
1: did. I did. <laughs> and of course, then we had to take the other classes too, the Bible and the ethics and church history and... I don't remember all of them. That's been a few years ago, but that
0: that was a couple years back. But uh, it, was. it was. But but anyway, yeah. Uh, now, how uh, about how it sounded like you covered a lot of territory on the road? How often did you travel each week? Well, on the weekends. Oh, okay, so during the week you stayed home and focused on school. Right. Right. <laughs> and then on the weekends you uh, went to Guthrie and Shelbyville and all those. Fun places. Now uh just out of curiosity, Becky Curry, when and where did you preach your debut sermon? And uh, what do you remember most about your first time standing at the pulpit? Yeah. That's a good that's a good question.
1: Uh and I, I would say I, I have three recollections. Gotcha. Uh, I think probably the first time was at Bethany. And I think it was probably a a laity Sunday. And uh, and my my recollection is that, and this happens all the time. And I just always grin when it happens because it happened to me. Is you think you have this 20-minute sermon and you get up and it lasts probably seven to ten minutes. And you just zip right through it and you're done. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that is, that's kind of always a, a first time uh, experience. Sure. Uh, I, uh, two other th- experiences that I had, well, one was at Oakdale United Methodist, but I recall that that was um, in college and I had done a mission trip uh, in Apopka, Florida, and they asked me to come and to share about that. Oh, like a
0: testimonial type of thing.
1: Yes, yes. And so that was another experience. But I guess from the first time that after I was ordained uh, was at um, Cooper Memorial in Louisville. And one of the ministers said he wanted to make sure that my first sermon was at his church. So we did that soon after I was ordained.
0: People yeah they 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 tend to freak out when they uh know that they have to speak for like 20 some odd minutes but when you're standing up there preaching it you know a lot of times 20 minutes feels more like 10 doesn't it
1: yes it does it does
0: (laughs) it goes by
1: and then Um, there are some preachers who think they're preaching for 20 and it ends up being 40
0: (laughs) yeah Then they checked. I'm wo- sure
1: none that you know, Sam, none that I know, but I've heard that that's happened before.
0: Well, yeah. and I have heard through the grapevine that some preachers check their watch and they're like, oh, sorry, folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's true.
0: <laughs> kind of lost track of time. So uh, where was, uh, where was your first full-time ministerial job?
1: My first full-time was at uh, Henderson First. I had served, okay. uh, I had served Guthrie uh, my last semester of seminary, and then uh, I moved to to Henderson.
0: I see. So that was right after Guthrie. Well, cool, cool stuff. Now, uh, on a side note, Becky, um, one of my fellow church members, Teresa Workins, who I'm sure you remember well. Yes, sir. She recently mentioned that you were one of her camp counselors when she was in high school. So why don't you give us an overview of your time spent in a camp counseling role, along with the, the knowledge and skills that uh, you gained from this experience.
1: Well, and let me just say that when I moved to Henderson, Teresa was one of the people that helped me move in my apartment.
0: Oh, how so about that?
1: She and I were close from the very first day. Um, but yes, I worked at Lucon, and that was just a, a wonderful experience. I was there four years Um, One year in college and the three years I was in seminary, and it was a wonderful experience. It uh, taught me leadership. It taught me responsibility. Um, It taught me teamwork. Uh, It taught me conflict resolution. Um, All so, sorts of
0: important lessons. Yeah,
1: and and Lucan is still near and dear to me. I think it is one of the places on earth uh, where you just drive in and you feel the presence of God.
0: Absolutely.
1: And, and it's just, and and I'm not unique in feeling that way. There are so many people who just. Go to Lucan for a place where they can just talk to God and yeah. be reunited with God, and it's a, it is a holy it is a holy place.
0: Yeah, and you just naturally feel closer to Him once you get there. So I guess uh, those four years you would spend what the summer months they like June and July basically. In
1: in June, July, and August, yes.
0: June, July. And I was
1: also the lifeguard, so there was that, too.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You blew the whistle on kids when they were acting up in the pool.
1: (laughs) I absolutely did.
0: (laughs) I gotcha. Well, that's an important role. Do you ever make it back to and as part of, like, the adult groups and stuff they have down there now?
1: I do. In fact, I'm serving on a committee right now, and, um, yeah, and then both... My son's worked there on staff, which I found that to be wonderful.
0: Okay, so David Michael followed along in your footsteps there.
1: They absolutely did. <laughs> well,
0: that's, yeah. uh, that's neat. Now, uh, it's worth mentioning, Becky, we pointed this out briefly earlier, but you were one of the earliest female ministers in the United Methodist Church. So if you would, let's talk about... Um, the most notable challenges that uh, this presented at the time and explain how you overcame these obstacles early in your career?
1: Well, those are good questions, Sam. Uh, When I was younger, uh, I wasn't aware enough to know that there weren't women ministers, very many women ministers, uh, nor did anyone tell me that I would be unique in that. And then suddenly, as I was planning for ordination, I would have people say, why? I've never, I've never heard a, a, a woman preach before. And I thought to myself, neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, they would say, I've never met a woman minister before. Well, <laughs> you, you have now. Uh, There's a so, first
0: time for everything. <laughs>
1: yeah, so there were some uh, revelations that were going on in my own mind. I recall when going to the church at Guthrie and someone saying, well, we've never had a woman preacher before. And I went, that's okay. I've never been one before. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's a first for both of us. (laughs) It's a
1: first for both of us. And I said, we'll just figure this out. Uh, And we did. So part of my strategy, Sam, was never to convince anybody that this was okay. Uh, it was to allow people, um, you know, just to deal with it in their own way, just as I was learning. Um, so, and just to do my job and and to spread the gospel and to love people and not to convince them, but to love them. And sure. hopefully that worked out.
0: Well, I'd say it did. <laughs> I'd say it did quite nicely. And you uh, performed admirably. Now, about how long? Did you serve at Guthrie all together?
1: Oh, Guthrie, I was just there for six months.
0: Okay, six months. I know part of that was in uh, Divinity School too.
1: Right, right. So
0: so just six months, but that was a nice springboard for you. Now, as we mentioned, your your first full-time ministerial job was here in Henderson at First United Methodist Church. So talk a little more about when and how you uh, eventually found your way to good old Henderson KY, which would become your home for uh, nearly three decades. So how'd you, uh, how'd you find out about the opportunity?
1: Well, Sam, you will love this story. <laughs> oh,
0: I love all your stories.
1: <laughs> uh, because it was Dr. Marvin Whitmer, who was the senior pastor there, and I did not know him. Uh, I knew Tom Evelyn who was serving at Henderson First at the time, uh, but I l- later learned that Marvin had his eye on me and that he wanted me to come to Henderson. Uh-huh. Now, I like to think it was because of my skills and ability, but it became apparent that he was looking for a wife for Ken. Mm. Uh-huh. And uh, so uh, the very first Sunday that I was in Henderson, uh, Dr. Whitmer took Ken and me out to lunch after church, and uh, well, the rest is history, as they say.
0: Yes, absolutely, so that, that worked out the way you wanted it to, and the way Dr. Whitmer wanted it to. <laughs> yes, and hopefully Ken too. Yes, and would, I'd say for Ken as well, so anyway, Dr. Dr. Whitmer introduced you to Ken, so what, what year was it that she uh, came to Henderson?
1: 76.
0: Seventy-six. Okay, so that would have been Mom's senior year in high school. Sorry, Mom. i <laughs> not mean to give away your age, but uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's how old she would have been. Of course, five years later, you uh, you married Mom and Dad. So, what year did you and Ken tie the knot?
1: Oh, don't make me answer that. <laughs>
0: 1976. Oh, the same year that you got here. The Same year. Okay, so things moved pretty quickly, didn't they? Yes, they did. (laughs) Oh, awesome. That's how we know it was meant to be. Now, uh, you spent a number of years, of course, at uh, Henderson's First United Methodist Church serving as the associate pastor, so why don't you talk about the, uh, the accomplishments that gave you the greatest sense of pride in this capacity, along with maybe some of the areas of growth and expansion that you observed at First Church during your tenure there?
1: Well, uh, part of the job description of the associate was the youth program. And having worked at LUCON and most of the places I went, I was engaged in youth ministry. And so that was the place that, you know, brought me the greatest joy as well. I really didn't think about my, I preached once a month and I didn't see that as uh, a strong part of the job. Uh, However, it morphed into that, that, um, preaching was an important part of that job too. But yes, I love the youth program. We did wonderful things. We had wonderful t- trips. The group grew. Uh, I, I feel like that many people just came to a closer relationship with Christ because of the, the activities that we had and the discussions that we had. And um, so, yes, I would I would check that off as one of the most important parts of that.
0: Oh sure, and the, the more that you know, the longer the longer you stayed, the more you sort of assumed preaching duties and sort of uh, you know broaden your horizons on that front. Yes, yes. So <laughs> that's that's neat. And let's see, um, you you worked under, I guess it was five. Different preachers or or six at first? I
1: would would have to stop and count, but Dr. Whitmer and Dr. Fister.
0: Let's see. um, Les Chapman was the the first one that I remember after I was born.
1: I was not officially the associate then. I was just helping him. I was just the liturgist on Sunday, but was not officially appointed. But then I was appointed with um, Rick Holliday and... Gary Chapman.
0: Okay so with Rick and Gary you were so I guess it was it was the same with uh, with Pat Ed you were just you were sort of helping Bob, him.
1: Yes and Bob Rice. Bob was the one who asked me if I would help him on Sunday morning which I was happy to do. Oh
0: sure so that <laughs> that was the start of your <laughs> growing duties there at First Church with the uh, with Bob Rice. Well, that's awesome. Now, in addition to your many years of service at First United Methodist, you spent some of your Henderson time in a uh, leadership position with St. Anthony's Hospice, which is now uh, subtitled the Lucy Smith King Care Center. But describe what inspired you to assume this role and uh, give us a synopsis of your duties at St. Anthony's?
1: Well, as I mentioned, my pastoral care and counseling work at Vanderbilt, it was there that I I learned about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and it was actually during, I mean, that was, hospice was just brand new to the whole, um, to society as such, and she brought it to the forefront And I was fascinated at the time by what she taught us about death and dying. And it was later on while I was at Henderson that John Kahn began to talk about, we were going to have a hospice. We were going to have a hospice. And I looked at him like, "Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Little did I know that within the next three years, I would be the director. But um, yeah, that was a, at the time, and we didn't mention this, and I need to, is that I served four years at Smith Mills. And oh, gotcha. uh, I was, yeah, I was at Henderson, and then I went to Smith Mills, and then went to hospice. Um, but yes, I felt very called and drawn to that because of my experience at Vanderbilt.
0: Well, that's cool. Um, now, now, how many um, or what, what years were you at Smith Mills? Oh, I'm guessing it would
1: 82,
0: be Eighty-two to 82 to 86. Oh, 82 to 86. Okay. Let's see. When was it that you officially became the uh, the head honcho at St. Anthony's?
1: It was in 86.
0: 86. Okay. Yeah. So right after you, uh, you served at Smith mills,
1: right? Well, I right.
0: gotcha. And you, you mentioned, and
1: I was you... At, yeah, I was at hospice for 13 years. Okay.
0: So 86 to 99. Right. Well, awesome. Uh, you mentioned Jonathan Kahn. He was a counselor and a, an important part of the Henderson community for a long time. I believe that uh, John Kahn's in Arizona now, isn't he? That
1: yes, I think that's true.
0: I've heard that myself. So I guess he's enjoying the retirement life out west. So.
1: I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you know, whatever whatever floats his boat. I guess he earned it. Now, um, after departing. From Henderson. By the way, uh, wh- what year was it that you left, Henderson? Oh, 04. Oh, 04, gotcha. I was going to say, because I know you were um, you were involved with my youth group for a while, and then you uh, departed for Louisville. So in 2004, when you uh, returned to your hometown, you became an assistant to the bishop as well as a superintendent for the uh, Kentucky Methodist Church's Louisville district. So uh, why don't you explain to us what these positions entailed and walk us through some of your most rewarding and gratifying highlights from these opportunities.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, being assistant to the bishop is just exactly what it sounds like. It is um, helping the bishop deal with um pastors and churches in crisis uh, answering a lot of the calls rather than the bishop just can't be at all those churches and so i would be sent out to troubleshoot or to represent him in um other settings
0: oh, cool um,
1: It was, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I also worked with the staff, uh, the conference staff. We had about 19 people that worked in that uh, office. Then I was a liaison between the Bishop and the Board of Ordained Ministry and church planting and connectional ministries and administration, um, I'll so
0: see. it was, there was never a dull moment. I'll say not. Yeah, that that kept you busy, no doubt. And um, I'm guessing you would you would fill in um, in preaching roles at uh, the churches within the district occasionally, wouldn't you? Yes,
1: yes, I did.
0: Yeah, and that yeah. Uh, that was another aspect that really uh, made it worthwhile, I know. So uh, how many how many years did you serve in that capacity?
1: Well, I sir, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to count. I was district superintendent of the Louisville district for seven years and I was assistant to the bishop for thirteen
0: okay. Yeah. All I right. Right so you were an assistant slightly longer than you were uh, yes a superintendent, but right. um that's neat and I guess you uh, you retired as the bishop's assistant in what 2017. Yes, I got you. It's about what I thought. So <laughs> that was a that was a good experience for you, I know. And even after you retired, uh, you continued to stay busy for a while as uh, the interim senior pastor of Christ Church United Methodist in Louisville, as we touched on for a second <laughs> a little bit yeah. ago. So. Um, Tell us, uh, Becky, what attracted you to this church, and what were your uh, most enjoyable aspects of ministering to its congregation?
1: Well, it was a, a very unexpected uh, request from the bishop to serve that church. I was I was retired and thought I was done. And uh, because I had been his assistant, he called, and he was— tried to figure out who he was going to appoint there and he gave me a list of names and we talked about it and at the end of the conversation he said and you know you could do that too and uh (laughs) you were like okay oh no oh no I don't think I could (laughs) (laughs) and uh so conversations continued and he ended up asking me if I would go and do that um it was an interim position because the previous pastor had been there for many, many years, I think like 17. And, uh, and so they needed a, a year to adjust without him as the senior pastor. And, and it was a wonderful opportunity, Sam, I will tell you, because I had spent the previous years in administration I was so happy that I got to finish my career in a church. It got you
0: back to your roots, basically. It
1: did. (laughs) And I got to be the pastor again. And I got to to do churchy things, local church things, and not just uh, conference administrative things. And so I think God really blessed me by letting me do that.
0: Yeah, that's where your heart's always been, isn't it? It
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> Went back to being that church geek.
0: <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. So, Ed, uh, uh, you were telling me before we got started here that you were there from um, 2019 all the way up through 2020. In fact, the last few months of your interim time there, um, COVID threw a wrinkle in things. <laughs> it, it
1: sure did. And um, that's not... That's not the way you want to end a ministry, nor is it the way you want to enter a ministry. I felt so sorry for Eric Bryant, who followed me. Can you imagine walking oh, into yes, a 3,500-member church and, you know, never meeting any of them face-to-face for almost six months?
0: Yeah. Uh, I can, that's Not
1: even meeting the staff.
0: <laughs> I mean, oh, gosh. Yeah, so, I it's tough preaching to people that you've never met for a while. And
1: as I say, I you know, when I would feel sorry for myself about how I had to leave, then I would think about Eric and then I didn't feel so bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, well <laughs>
1: it, could, it could be worse.
0: Put things in perspective, didn't it?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it sure did. Oh, mercy. But um, do you still attend that church or do you go somewhere else?
1: Well, no. In the Methodist church, once you retire, you're not supposed to go back to that church for at least a year.
0: Oh, now that you mentioned, I have heard that.
1: Yeah. And so, of course, COVID, <laughs> we weren't going anywhere. Right. We could watch it on TV. And uh, then my mother, who's 96, she attends St. Matthew's United Methodist Church. So uh, I've been going with her. And I consider that just a real honor to attend church with her on Sunday mornings. Now Ken still goes to Sunday school at Christ Church, but
0: oh gotcha. okay, so he still yeah. he still hangs out there and adheres hears the word at Christ Church through Sunday school. That's nice, and it's great to hear that uh, your mom's still kicking at uh, at ninety six. Is she still yes. uh, she's still living by herself, or is she in assisted living or?
1: She just moved to assisted living in May. So we're all adjusting to that.
0: Well, sure. But, she,
1: but she's doing well.
0: Well, that's awesome. I mean, you're pretty close to her, aren't you? Yes. So yes. <laughs> within reason, you know, the amount of time it takes to get there obviously can depend on Louisville traffic. But <laughs>
1: Well, no, she the assisted living that she uh, moved to is 2,000 steps from my front door to her front door.
0: Oh, look, like, actually, you've counted.
1: Yeah, well, Ken, Ken did.
0: Ken did, okay. Well, that's nice. So you, you can just walk over there. Yes, absolutely. Any, anytime you need to. Well, that's a that's a great feeling too. Well, uh, Becky, this has been great. I've sure enjoyed our conversation. Now, last but not least, before we let you go, I would like to know what would be... Your best advice for those seeking to follow in your footsteps and pursue a career in ministry?
1: I love the question and I love to answer it.
0: (laughs) Good combination.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because I've seen so many people struggle with this and have done the wrong thing, both just, yeah. <laughs> and so let me just say it this way. Be sure that you are called to ordain ministry and know what that means, because nothing will make you any more miserable than to be caught in a profession to which you are not called. Right. So, so make sure that you are you are hearing things right. The flip side of that is nothing can make you more miserable than to be called to ministry and to avoid it because God will not let you alone.
0: (laughs) He'll keep tugging at your heartstrings, won't
1: he? The hounds of heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And so my advice is, you know, learn as much about it as you can. Know yourself, know your relationship. With, with Christ and know what it is that you want to do in ministry um, and find that, that sweet spot there. Because there are a lot of wonderful lay people who are deeply engaged in ministry and doing the work of the Lord and are not ordained. Um, so, you know, Just make sure. That's my advice.
0: There you go. So if, you know, if, if that's, if ministry is where you need to be, don't, don't try to avoid it, but, uh, you know, make sure you go into it for the right reasons.
1: (laughs) You just did a wonderful synopsis there, Sam.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do, I do what little I can, and you don't have to be ordained to, to make a difference, do you?
1: absolutely that is so true
0: <laughs> yes indeed well uh, this has been fun uh, thank you so much i sure hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have
1: i have sam and you know how much i love you and love your family and it's just good to visit with you this way
0: well thank you so much for the kind words becky curry and what a delight you are to talk to as well i'm telling you folks There's a lot we can learn from Becky, whether we're planning on going into ministry or not. Most notably, the importance of being open-minded to new and different opportunities as they are presented. Because she always was, throughout her whole career, whether it came to preaching or hospice, or even after she retired when she assumed the role of interim senior pastor, at that Louisville church for about a year or so. We always have to be prepared for exciting challenges as they emerge and be ready to approach them head-on without being afraid of them. So thanks much, Becky Curry, for taking time out of your way busier-than-average retirement schedule to join us on the show, and I know that's not an exaggeration, especially with Children and grandchildren out of town, specifically in Memphis and Denver, and that entails a lot of road travel, but I know it's well worth it. And you think about all the knowledge and wisdom that Becky imparted on us today here on the show. I know that she's imparted that much more on her children over the years, and it's no wonder that they've become such fine, upstanding citizens in their respective communities. So, Becky Curry is hopefully the first of many preachers to be featured on Blabbin' in the Blue Grass in the days, weeks, and months to come. However, your job, guys and gals, is to help me keep this preacher feature going by nominating your favorite minister, maybe one at your church or a friend's church, maybe one in the community that you've heard a lot of good things about. Don't just wait for me to feature them because I may not know about them yet. That's where you come in. Email me at bluegrassblabbin at gmail.com. I also welcome nominations on Messenger via the Blabbin' in the Bluegrass Facebook page. By the way, you need to like and follow that page if you're not already doing so because you can stay tuned for teasers on future shows, enjoy previous shows that you might have missed, make comments. I love going back and forth with listeners on Facebook as well. And whether you're nominating a preacher or a teacher or, you know, any guest or topic that you suggest we feature, as long as there's a Kentucky connection, I'm open-minded to it, so don't be shy. Please let me hear what you have to say. Your feedback is always welcomed and appreciated. Now, before we put this puppy to bed and get ready for next week's show which, Good Lord willing, and the Creek Don't Rise, will come out January 19th. Next Wednesday, I do have the long-awaited answer to this week's Bluegrass Brainbuster, which we brought to you at the beginning of the show. But to recap, I wanted to know what is the largest building in the state of Kentucky? Well, it may be underground, but it's the Louisville Mega Cavern. Yes, indeed. The Louisville Mega Cavern is the largest building in the state of Kentucky. It's considered a building because of its support structures, and I'm telling you, it's a beast. It covers 100 acres, roughly 4 million square feet, and it's not only the largest building in the state, but it's also the largest recycling center in the state in terms of tonnage. And uh, for years there's been a lot of recycled brick and concrete, dirt and so forth uh, offloaded at the Mega Cavern to fill in the holes and create floors and uh, that continues to this day. In fact, construction remains underway for offices and uh, additional storage space within the mega cavern. And not only is it used for storage, but it's also a, a popular tourist attraction in Louisville. You can take adventure tours in there, enjoy zip lining and much, much more. In fact, probably in fact no, not probably, definitely worthy of our attention at some point here. I'll blab it in the bluegrass. So I'll see what I can do there. But the Louisville Mega Cavern is the largest building in the state of Kentucky, despite being underground and we want you back here next week because we'll have another bluegrass brain buster we also encourage you if you can't find us on facebook which you know that's pretty easy to do but that's not your only option we are also readily available via four podcast directories and you can listen and subscribe to the program without paying one thin dime via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. Any or all of those four podcast directories feature Blabbit in the Bluegrass, please take advantage of those avenues and never miss a single show. Not just for your sake, but more importantly, for my sake. Because I want you here, I love you, and I miss you when you're not. So until we meet again, you know your assignment. It's the same as always. Keep laughing Keep smiling and keep blabbing blabbing, blabbing in in the the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing blabbing, blabbing in 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 the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing blabbing, blabbing in in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey Cools your palate Just a black in the bluegrass With a fit for every taste Precious time is not to waste